I don't think there's a worse quality on earth than being devil's advocate. Oh, I don't either. No, there's what's fun about that. Nothing's fun. If this is not a real scenario, please go away. Like if no, I, no, no, but hear me out, hear me out. No, if, I wanted, if I wanted the devil's opinion, I would have asked him. Nice. Uh, Rich, yeah. I just sent you a link, but to your Instagram. I'll send it to your email. Will that be way easier for you? Yes, Chris, what? <laughs> Stop it. She's like, I, I sent you a link. link, but I sent it in the mail. It'll be there like four days. I sent a, I sent a Google Docs link to your Instagram. Stop it. Sense. I've never done it either, but I was like, oh, I don't have her number. I just emailed it to you. Okay. <laughs> you got really nervous and you just like did the wrong thing. Uh, I just sent it to your uh, Venmo. Let me know. <laughs> Are you still logged into AIM? Because I the away message and I sent it. <laughs> It's hot rage LA, right? Yeah, I just guessed. <laughs> Ooh, you weren't supposed to send it to my MySpace. Oh, bye. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Queer For It, a podcast hosted by three queer friends living in Austin, Texas, bringing you a weekly dose of queer realness and laughs. I'm Courtney. I'm a lesbian. I use she, her pronouns, and my Instagram is at court underscore roads. I'm Chris. I'm queer. I use she, her pronouns, and my Instagram is at the yellow bandit. And I'm also Chris. I'm a trans man. I use he, him pronouns, and my Instagram is at see the stars of place. <laughs> and this week, Did we you have a special guest. Yeah, I can see you on the sheet there editing things. <laughs> this week, we have a special guest we invited via Zoom. Um, I met her at a Women's Investment Summit in 2019, put on by this fabulous company called Alice. And uh, I encourage any entrepreneurs to check them out. They are really interested in facilitating um, business for especially women and women of color. They're a super cool group. Um, but yeah, Rachel and I met there, thought she was super dope, stayed connected. Since then, she has grown her company, Rebellious PR, based in California. And we recently connected with her to get some help uh, for Flaunt and she did such a good job. We wanted to share, you know, her with the rest of the world. So please to enjoy Rachel. Please to enjoy. <laughs> please to enjoy. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. For, this is so hard when we're not in the same place. Okay, like, is, this where, is this where I say my, my no. name? This is where I ask you, Rachel, do you want to share with us how you identify your pronouns and where people can find you? Yes, I do want to share that with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm queer. I use she, her pronouns. Um, and my Instagram is at Rachel till death. Which is pretty hardcore. I mean, it was my AIM screen name, if we're, if I'm being totally honest. Uh, I'm like a psychic. Like, that was... Wow. Yeah, I well at the time, you know, I grew up in like punk and hardcore and everybody was like super straight edge, so it was like the cool thing to be like edge till death and I was like I'm not going to do that but I will be me until I die. So <laughs> I thought I was being super cute and then I just had had it for so long that it just stuck with me. Does everyone remember their aim screen names cuz I know what mine was? I know. Mine was Bball Twin 4892. Did you say blue ball? B ball. Oh, <laughs> sorry. So that, uh, is that Zoom lag? <laughs> I just get it. I was like, oh no. <laughs> What's the how, song? How, how right, on brand? 
It was just basketball twin. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, mine was so boring and something I still use, just C-Raj 080. Just first letter, first three of my last name, and then 080, the year I graduated high school. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Very efficient. I don't remember mine, so we're not going to dig it up. His was probably like Glee fan 24-7. <laughs> And that's not a lie because Chris's first Tumblr was actually a Glee fan Tumblr before he was like famous and popular. How funny is that? Like, I didn't even know it. Like, I didn't know Chris, it until I, years later. I did not know you liked Glee. Maria. I didn't know either. We shared a room. Just what? like first few. He seasons. hid it from you because of this moment because you were mortifying him. <laughs> he was just watching like under the covers. First of all, it was very good queer representation in the all- early... I, yeah. I, I love a musical. Fuck right off. So, <laughs> and like Idina Menzel was I'm on it. I'm not saying it. I didn't Chris watch it. I just didn't have a fan Tumblr. I didn't. It was just somewhere to like post about it. <laughs> I'm tr- I'm trying to tell you that Maria was making fun of me for this yesterday because I was trying to get her to watch some Glee with me, and she was like, "No." And I was like, "What?" Oh, because we were watching an episode of RuPaul that Naya Rivera was the host on. Or was one of the judges on? And I was like, oh, RIP, it hurts, hurts so much, right? And I was like, she was my favorite character on that show, also the hottest character on that show. I was and gonna say, we all know why she was the hottest. Was- and her relationship with Brittany was the most fun and funniest thing in the world. I just absolutely loved. I did. Yeah, no, I was, I was a big kid kind of fan. It's fine. It's fine that you added me. I'm glad when Maria was like I don't think so and I was like can we try and she was like no let's just watch more RuPaul um and actually we we are gonna find out more about Rachel but we started talking about this offline and we want to talk about it online Rachel and I are both big fans of RuPaul's Drag Race um do you want to share your connection oh I guess I can um you don't have to but if you want to you can just say you're a big fat fan no, I mean, I'm, I, I am a huge fan, but I also uh, feel very proud that I had a, a small part in uh, bringing that show to life. I, <clears throat> um, early in my career, I worked in casting in TV and the, um, the casting company that I worked for, the casting director um, was the uh, casting director for the first uh, handful of seasons of RuPaul's Drag Race and um, I personally worked on the first three seasons um, on the casting and it was a lot of fun um, the you know casting the first season was like super um, super scrappy I guess like we would literally go to drag shows and um, approach queens after they performed and tell them about the show to see if they wanted to audition um, we would like you know, interview people in bathrooms and in alleys behind gay bars. And it was a lot of fun. So yeah, I have a, I have a forever spot in my heart for RuPaul's Drag Race. And also this season is very, very good. Okay, Rach, uh, you, we would love to know your coming out story. That's something we ask everyone and tell us as much or as little as you want. Yeah, so I actually, um, I don't have a coming out story, which is my coming out story. Yeah. Um, I, I think I, I've um, had more people try to force me into a coming out story than I've ever like had to actually, uh, and I've never felt like I actually had to, to do that. But um, I've been like 
weirdly confronted by like a number of like cis dude partners that I've had in the past. Like I'll be dating somebody and like, I've been like arguing with them and they're like, are you're just a lesbian. And I'm like, well, I'm dating you. So I'm not, <laughs> but like, you're like, what does that make you? <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't really understand where we're supposed to go with this argument from here. Um, that was his coming out. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're like, oh my God, are you trying to tell me something? <laughs> Turn it, uh, honestly, and honestly, like, it, it was like, uh, at one point, it was yelled at me by an ex. He was like, oh, you're just a feminist lesbian asshole. I was like, where's the insult in there? Like, <laughs> yeah, you're like, a lesbian, like, an asshole, I guess, maybe is kind of an insult, but like, I'm failing to see how I'm supposed to feel offended by this. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, I, um, I've been really lucky. My family is, um, my, my parents, my immediate family are, are pretty cool. Um, they, uh, one of my, most of my friends are queer. And, um, at one point I remember, um, I have like these little like breadcrumbs along my life that just sort of like made it clear to me that my family was going to be cool with whoever I chose to date. Um, which was great when I was in high school, I remember I, you know, I was kind of nerdy, never had like boyfriends, girlfriends, anything. And my um, mom one day before prom, I remember her sitting me down and being like, you know, like you can go with whoever you want to prom. And I was like, I know that. I just don't like anybody. <laughs> so <laughs> like, uh, yeah, those are the rules. I, I yeah. get it. I yeah. also didn't really date in high school. I guess I was kind of nerdy. I don't know. Maybe I wasn't cool enough, but <laughs> I just did it really. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I didn't, I, I wasn't into anybody. And so, um, you know, that sort of made it clear to me that like the choice was mine. And so I never really felt compelled to like break the news to anybody. Cause I also found myself attracted to different kinds of humans in different situations and scenarios and didn't really want to like limit myself to saying like, I am gay, I am bisexual. And, you know, I've, I played roller derby for a very, very, very long time. Um, and so I had lots of, um, you know, lots of queer people in my life. And I definitely remember like conversations that, that people would have where they'd be like, anytime uh, a skater would like date a dude and then date a girl and then date a dude. Like there's always these like, you know, very biphobic conversations about like someone's identity and flip flopping back and forth. So I was just like, I'm just never gonna say I'm anything that way I can just date whoever I want to date <laughs> so but I do remember like one of my um when I first started hanging out with one of my best friends um and like we were doing stuff together all the time my mom was like is Casey your girlfriend <laughs> like no. That's really no no she's not my type <laughs> no. yeah exactly I mean she kind she kind of is my type so like I would definitely <laughs> see why she thought that but she was not my friend. but also just no we aren't dating <laughs> but also like secretly oh, just kidding <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um yeah so I don't know um yeah I, I'm pretty lucky I get to I get to cruise through life and just uh you know let people believe whatever they want to believe about me and then you know blow their minds one way or another but it's uh and and I recognize the the privilege therein because I can sort of like you know like use that when I want like cis dudes to fuck off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh god. I feel like we I feel like we definitely try to encourage, you know, anyone that's listening that like 
even if you are putting some sort of label on your sexuality, that that's very uh, fluid and open to change and you should allow yourself for that to change. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think anybody should be able to like lean as hard into their identity as they want to or not. Um, leave it, leave it open or be super rigid with it. Like it is your journey, your decision, like whoever you want to, you know, be, um, in relationships with, you should be able to talk about that. However you feel comfortable with that. So, you know, where this is just the path I've been on. Yeah. Where did you grow up? Um, I grew up, um, I'm a military kid, so I kind of traveled around a bit. Um, I spent a good chunk of my childhood in San Diego. And then I also spent a fairly significant chunk of my childhood in Italy. So um, <clears throat> I moved back to the U.S. when I was like 14. So the most awkward age you could possibly be. Um, <laughs> terrible um and also like because I was in Europe at a time when like the internet wasn't at all what it is now it, it had like just been invented um so I had nothing cool all the only thing that I like knew as far as like cool culture was like the you know Adelia's catalog and like Dawson's Creek because that was all we got so when I came back to the U.S. and saw what like actual like mainstream like teenager culture was like, I was just like, whoa, like it was very overwhelming for me. So that's, that was, yeah. That's Maria tells me that cause she sort of, I, you moved to come to high school in, yeah. She moved to like end of, at the end of like eighth grade, she moved from Mexico to the US to go to school. And, you know, coming from like strict, just Catholic schools, everything is, you know, decision point. You come in here and you see the teenage culture was like, oh, drugs and skipping class. And, well, you know, she was like, oh, this is crazy. I can still get, you know, good grades and not have to show up here. It's wild and different. And yeah, I wouldn't have wanted to, I would not have wanted to move schools in the middle of my schooling. Yuck. Yeah, when I was on my way back uh, from overseas, I had to stay with my grandparents for a few months and they were living in New Mexico. And so I spent the second semester of my freshman year in um, a suburb of Albuquerque called Rio Rancho. And I went to this humongous high school called Rio Rancho High School, which for Breaking Bad fans um, is the high school that Walter White taught at in Breaking Bad. Um, so all those exterior shots, that's where I went to school for like a hot second um, and I quickly learned there that like my two options for social circles were like the church youth group or the like raver kids who did drugs on the weekends so I spent like a lot of time alone during that time like practicing in sync dances in my bedroom <laughs> <laughs> um, not to, that's what Maria got sucked up into the raver culture and she's like I don't know how I'm alive today <laughs> yeah I, I like I wanted nothing to do with either one um so until I got back to San Diego and that's where I was like oh okay there's other culture options I'm gonna pick like you know punk and hardcore so like that was that was how I ended up in that world is I was like it felt like music was the place that I wanted to go mm -hmm. did you always have lots of queer friends I mean, I didn't know it at the time, but yes, you know, like yeah. when you're kids, nobody, you don't realize that all your friends are queer, but like as an adult now, like all, almost everybody that I'm still friends with from my childhood is super queer, which is awesome. <laughs> That's right. 
Yeah. Even, even my like best friend from Italy, like I remember seeing her again in like 2013 and, um, we, uh, she came to LA and, you know, we, we hung out and she had just like gone through a breakup. And so I was asking her like how she was doing. And she like, hadn't told me she like broken up with her girlfriend. So she kept using like very vague language. And she was like, and I was like, so you broke up with your girlfriend. Right. And she was like, Oh, thank God. Like, (laughs) you know, and she was just like, how did you know? And I was like, Oh my God. Like I've known you our whole lives. Like I, I knew when we were 10, like, I didn't know it then, but like looking back now, it was so obviously clear. Also, she'd been avoiding it for, for like an hour. <laughs> totally. Yeah, exactly. I was like, well, you, it was kind of a dead giveaway. Cause you just like, you know, dodged every question, but, but yeah, no, I look back at like my group of like, you know, weird misfit friends in high school and like in college, all of them ended up like having girlfriends or, you know, getting into like queer relationships or like poly relationships or something. And I was just like, wow, like this is so interesting that like this is, you know, I don't know. It's, I'm, I'm really happy to reflect on um, the amount of queerness that's always been present in my life. I, I find it like really fascinating too. Like when I like look back, it's also like lots of breadcrumbs, but like, I mean, I played lots of sports growing up and it's like recently, like a girl that like we played basketball with forever who like, like we had been waiting cause she was like the last of the group to be like somewhat queer, but like she was always with all of us and was so queer, like from the time we were like 12 and we were like, Yes, that was like the last missing piece. Like, not that people can totally be straight, but like almost everyone <laughs> played sports with, I'm like, they all ended up being queer or like a good handful of them ended up being like trans and queer and this and that. And I'm like, but none of us were out in high school. So we were all miserable and thought we were alone. <laughs> I think I was like, you know, I didn't avoid getting into queer relationships. It's just often they they didn't, they didn't really become um, available to me in like the different situations I was in, you know, until like the later side of my twenties. Cause I also was like in a long-term relationship from the time that I was 20 until I was 27. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, with someone that I thought I was going to marry. And then obviously I didn't, and my whole life exploded. And like, that was sort of where I had carte blanche to actually, you know, like, date people that I was interested in. And it wasn't that I wasn't previously, it was that I was just in a long-term relationship. So, um, and I remember like, you know, when people started to like figure out, you know, air quotes that I was queer, um, you know, it felt like a, some people's reaction was like a, an interesting, like finally kind of, so I don't know. Um, but I always felt it's interesting. Like even before I identified myself as queer, I, I definitely always felt uncomfortable with the term straight. Um, I remember people asking me like, are you straight? Like they wouldn't ask me if I was gay. They would ask me if I was straight. And I, I would be like, no, (laughs) like, I don't like, I hadn't really, you know, in the, I think in the early two thousands, like queer wasn't as commonly used as it is now. It hadn't been reclaimed in the way that it is now. And so when, when queer became a part of the like you know, common language of how we talk about ourselves and how we identify ourselves. That was when I really felt comfortable leaning into that because, you know, bisexual wasn't right for me and straight was definitely not right for me. I I knew that I definitely wasn't a lesbian, but like, where did that leave me in all of that? And so then it was like, you know, I like, 
cresting 30 and then finally somebody's like, you know, queer is acceptable and Janelle Monet is waving a pansexual flag. And I was like, finally. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, queer, queer is my connective word too. I really, I was like straight, not lesbian, like mostly, but also didn't really encompass me, you know? But then queer, I was like, ah, oh, that feels right. But absolutely, you know, not the first time I heard it because the first lots of years it was used like derogatory, right? So. Yeah. So now, you know, it, some when someone came back and said it about themselves and I was like, hell yeah, girl, me too. I'm queer. That's right. Yeah. I think it's funny because like I'm like I identify as queer, but it's like a square and a rectangle. Like I definitely identify more as a lesbian. Like I'm like I'm queer, but I'm like I lean really hard into like lesbian. Like I'm a lesbian, you know, but I'm also queer. Like that makes sense. <laughs> but like, but then don't take it too far because now it's a rectangle and like I'm a square, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's like is it's like the thing with uh, like bourbon and whiskey. Like, not all whiskeys are bourbon, but all bourbons are whiskeys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's how I feel. And sometimes we're at the same time as Arizona, and sometimes we're not. I'm confused again, guys. <laughs> <laughs> too far. Way to bring it full circle, Chris. Really. <laughs> I'm practice. I listen to so much comedy. I'm practicing all my callback techniques, seeing what works and what fully flops. And you guys always tell me when it flops, you know? I mean, the thing is, is that the audience didn't hear the first joke, so it's not going to be a callback for them. I almost like that better. It's like almost funnier that way. Private callback for you guys. It's an inside joke. What about like a whole comedy routine that's just inside jokes? And so nobody's laughing. They're yeah. definitely funnier when you have to explain them. I would hate that. I hate being <laughs> left out of a joke. So what we established is that you didn't come out, which I love. I feel like a good percentage of the people like- We've had a lot of people that come on the podcast who- Courtney's fiance never came out and my girlfriend never came out. Kristen's a lesbian. My girlfriend, Valerie, is queer. But she was like, I just like never told anybody like anything. She just stated men, women, trans guys, non-binary people, like all sorts of people. And I'm like, you're an only child who both parents are Puerto Rican, like full Puerto Rican. She was calling their bluff. She's like, do you love me? <laughs> and I was like, they didn't even blink. And she was like, no. And I was like, oh my That's God. Awesome. Yeah, it was really cool. I was like, well, I'm like really all of the white girls I dated's parents are like, really fucking up here because like we my know was, hispanic culture can be so strict about yeah. like yeah my ex was an only child and she thought when she came out she's like surely they would not disown me and they did yeah. <laughs> those those white parents did wild yeah i have i have an ex who um he his parents um just wouldn't call him anything other than his dead name oh. um, and but like and I was like, how does that make you feel? And he was like, well, they're my parents, so it's fine. And I was like, okay, it's not my job to tell you how to feel. But like it, you know, I'd be sitting there and I was like, oh. you're like, is someone else here? <laughs> <laughs> I like, I would look around sometimes like, oh, wait, sorry. That's what I would do when people, when like, there was like a while where my dad was just like kind of difficult because he's just difficult. He's like, great. Like my parents are great, but like, my dad just kind of like simple <laughs> to put it like he just doesn't like have a lot of feelings. So it was like for a while he would just say that. And I was like, it's got to the point where I told him like, you look stupid. Like when this guy walks in and you're using some name and saying, this is your daughter, people are looking at you like, this are you senile? Like, <laughs> should he be checked into a home? Cause I don't understand. <laughs> uh, no, it's hard. It's hard with parents sometimes. 
yeah. Um, yeah, my Latino parents were not psyched about it. Maria's Latino parents love the shit out of her. So, you know, <laughs> here we are. Yeah, I mean, draw, it turns, really. out, turns out that all people exist in multitudes and not all cultures are monoliths, right? Like, I, I shouldn't generalize. I was just very surprised by the military Puerto Rican dad that was like, okay. And I was like, okay. no, you're not wrong. That is magic. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, so. I think part of them accepting that I'm trans though is a bit of a cultural barrier because like her mom will say things to me where she's like, we were talking about like kidney stones and she's like, oh, but like I heard it's like so much worse for like men, like to me. And I was like, oh, she, there's a disconnect here. Like, I mean, I'm like, thank you. Like, thank you. But also like, there's a disconnect. Like she like doesn't get it fully. And I'm like, that's fine. That's fine. We'll live in that space. (laughs) Or maybe she does. And the assumption is just kindness and like full acceptance, you know? She's like, he's a man. Hell yeah, he's a man. His kidney knows he's a man and his kidney's processing those kidney stones just like- kidney stones are going to suck for him. Yeah. (laughs) I was just like, okay. That's funny. I like when ignorance like benefits you, you know? Doesn't happen that often. So when it does, it's like- So beautiful. (laughs) Um, I also think I can appreciate the not coming out story. I, as someone who- I don't like to always just accept the rules that other people have already set up because they didn't have me in mind and I had no participation in creating these rules, right? And so this thing about like coming out for me, it feels so invasive. Obviously for some people it's really celebratory, but it's also like a little bit, I'm like, parents, what the hell do you care about who I'm having sex with? Do you want to have sex with me? Like, (laughs) I don't think it matters to you. I don't think anyone needs to know unless they're trying to have sex with me, you know? So it's, and I get, you know, like I came out when I was younger, I needed to tell my parents cause I wanted to be able to include my partner in our family activities. Cause I wasn't hosting my own family activities then, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, it just feels like even in the having to tell them, I'm like, man, you don't necessarily straight up deserve to get to know what I'm about, you know, unless you're trying to do that with me. And then maybe we'll talk, you know? Yeah. I'm just like, for some reason, something you just said made me think back to like what we were talking about with all of the queer existences of friends when we were younger. I'm super curious. uh, I'm just going to interview you guys now. I'm taking over. I'm curious if you guys remember instances of like, things that you did in school or like projects that you selected that were unintentionally super queer. Cause I had like a recent revelation of a bunch of projects I did where I was like, Whoa. <laughs> like, uh, yes. The entirety of the book is right here. Actually my, our, uh, our art history feminist teacher wrote this book queer by design. He was, his name's Andy Campbell. He's incredible. And he was our professor for, what was it? Queer feminist art history, whatever. In college. In college. So we already um, knew we were, you, you we already, were queer. This is me, re- like when I was coming to terms with being trans though. Um, Every paper I wrote was on like some sort of gender divergence or like I had a whole, my, I got a hundred on my final paper that was like breaking the binary and all this stuff. And I remember when I came out, Andy Campbell, I were friends on Facebook. He was like, been waiting. And I'm like, why didn't you leave that in the notes of my papers or something? Like, give me a hint. Because like every time we talked about gender or like anything non-conforming, I was like, pick me, pick me. I, I want to talk about this. And I'm like, this little like Justin Bieber lesbian. And he's just watching like, 
He's gonna get it one day. I mean, like in elementary school, I feel like. Oh. Well, first of all, what are you gonna say? That I that I wrote a whole paper about Shania Twain when I was like in second grade. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that entire paper I did on Dennis Rodman, which is. <laughs> Like I was I was too young to be like like a basketball superstar. Great, that's fine. Also, I'm like a fucking six-year-old girl, but <laughs> Dennis Rodman of all of the basketball okay. players. I was like, okay. okay. But also like in middle school, like for sports to gel. Well, I don't know if in your school athletes had to dress up on sports days, like on their okay, so the girls had to wear dresses and the guys had to wear suits. So me and Chris were just like Avril Lavigne it up like since like sixth grade, just like wearing ties. And uh, I was just like, no, like, I just want to wear a tie, like whatever, whatever. And like, so literally every single year, our mom would sit us down and be like, are you gay? And we were like, no, why would this mean that we're gay? Well, my paper about Shania Twain was that I, and I looked up to her and looking back, I now realize that I, she was my first like real crush. But she, she like, looks just like our mom. Now she does. Younger, she did not look like, like <laughs> my mom very much looked like a mom in the 90s. Now my mom could be a Shania Twain impersonator. Like both of them at in 50s could be the same, which is some weird thing. It makes me uncomfortable. I have to like completely detach from my crush. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm sure there's other projects too, but I do remember that one. And my mom was like, you really like Shania Twain? And I was like, I really like the midriff in these music videos. <laughs> I I remember I had like a fourth or fifth grade like American history project. And I did, um, I think each year uh, I had a project. And one year I remember doing a book report about um, one of the soldiers who cross-dressed to fight in the Revolutionary War. Mm. Um, like I thought she was so cool. Yeah. And like, and like, obviously like, you know, a fourth grader doesn't have like, and, and I don't think even culturally back then we had the like language or the like lexicon to like understand that like there was a lot at play there. Like it, it may or may not have just been cross-dressing. Like we don't really know, sure. but um, I, I remember just being so fascinated by her story that like she, you know, wanted to do this like very masculine thing and like couldn't. And so I did, you know, I did that as a book report and then you know, I did, um, I did another book report later at some point that was some other like cross-dressing or like, you know, non, like non-conforming like woman behavior. And so for a long time, I like kind of chalked it up to like, you know, this feminist lens of having, you know, a mom who was in the military and, you know, was the head of my household and, and it was definitely that, but it was also, I was just so fascinated by like the complexities of these stories and the, the, the limitations that, that people felt like they had to work around to do what they wanted with their lives. Mm -hmm. um, and that was like, and you know, I couldn't have ever articulated that as a kid, but looking back, that's always what I was really interested in is like, how did people circumnavigate the rules that they were given to do exactly what they wanted to do. And so I think that's like how I've tried to figure out how to live. Life. I'm so lucky I wasn't born like a 50s housewife. Like I would, I would hey, be miserable. You'd been a murderous 50s housewife. I would, I would, I would, I would a lot of men. I'd have been a great 50s housewife. I mean, look at me. <laughs> that's good. I, um, 
I the I didn't think about it, but I thought about it as you were talking about dressing differently. I re- when I was in like fourth or so grade, we all had to do a project on whatever someone that some famous person from history that inspired us, and uh, I had to get like special permission to do. I wanted to do Thomas Edison because I liked inventors. I wanted to do Thomas Alva Edison. Maybe y'all have heard of him. And <laughs> I'm not familiar. And they had to like give me permission and I didn't, I literally didn't think anything of it until now, but I remember it was like, like had to come in with my mom and like, you know, get, be allowed to. Um, And then what else did I write down? Oh, in, uh, in eighth grade, uh, you know, our school did an eighth grade formal and I went dressed in like black and with pink pinstripe like full uh uh-huh you're getting it like men's suit with like men's bottoms and then pink silk button down and then black and pink pinstripe fedora you can see me now oh my god (laughs) was also 2002 but everyone told me I looked so stunting (laughs) all the teachers and all the moms which I loved which was hilarious and I wear that exact outfit to my wedding I didn't pick up (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah we'll have not make it for sure and then I remembered in high school I did not play any sports I laughed when you were talking about remember playing sports and getting dressed up on sport days and I was like okay. uh, maybe you saw someone also <laughs> yeah and I didn't play any sports but I did think that all the hot girls played sports and I was super nerdy we and did. And grade at Excel. Yeah, exactly. And grade at Excel. And so I went to the basketball coach, the women's basketball coach, who was a lesbian, obviously, like the only adult lesbian in the school. And, um, <laughs> and was like, hey, coach, uh, I can make you a spreadsheet that'll like tell you how good all your players are, you know, if, uh, if you just like give me some of their stats and I can like sit at practice and like take scores so I can update the stats for you, you know, so you can know every game day who your best players are. And she loved it and she used it, but unfortunately it worked well. So she asked, she told the other coaches and then I had to do it for all the sports teams and that was not as fun, but <laughs> My first girlfriend was the basketball manager. So, you know, could have been you. (laughs) Yeah, that's where they're at. Where are those lesbians in high school? They're playing basketball. They're playing softball. Okay. Or they're watching the people playing basketball or softball. Yep. There's the occasional one playing soccer, but I feel like mostly those are straight girls just tempting you, you know? Yeah. They they always confuse me. I'm like... Those soccer girls, they're different. They could go either way. Uh-huh. I feel like the volleyball team was also breeding ground for confusion because oh. like you you would assume that most of them were straight. They were not all straight. Like I played volleyball and softball. Hmm. And like the softball team, it was a little more obvious, but like well, you eliminated them. You brought it from softball over. <laughs> from softball. I feel like, vo- I feel like volleyball, yeah. <laughs> What'd you say, Chris? <laughs> Rachel's patient zero. Yeah. <laughs> How gay people happen. One person's gay, they bring it everywhere else. Well, I feel like they don't want us to like shove it down kids' throats because <laughs> then the kids will be gay because they've seen it. I mean, the most confusing part is that I was also like the the assistant director and stage manager for theater. So That's the too. Right. <laughs> right. So you were also a male gay inside. Yes. Yeah. 
absolutely. I also, like you guys, did actually like Glee the first couple seasons and found <laughs> the amount of representation to be incredibly heartwarming and really loved uh, their version of Don't Stop Believing and then got real tired of it because it played forever and ever. So, <laughs> yeah. But like I Acapella was like such a novelty at the time. I thought it was, it was brilliant for the time. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Courtney's like not gonna agree. No, I, I liked it. I, You've I was... watched every show that has one scene with lesbians in it. We like started that, and it yeah. was on, like mainstream. No, TV, I did like, watch it. I just, Fox, I right? just, yeah, I just love like when I've seen like the tweets that are like, "We are blessed that Glee did not happen now. Like that we don't have to see like a Busset like Glee <laughs> episode." You know, like the song. Yeah, I feel like it would be really bad now with whatever the the teacher's name is, Mister whatever his name is. I literally Sh- don't. Sh- Schumer. Schuster? Schuster. 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 No. Is it Jenny? It's Schuster, right? Schuster. Yeah. Is he related to Jenny from the old? Jenny Schechter. Schechter. You're a bad lesbian. I haven't finished it. <laughs> the L word? For you. Rachel's up off. The L word? She's about to take my lesbian card away. <laughs> No, we just I used to watch episodes of the L Word in secret so that my ex-boyfriend wouldn't see me. <laughs> this is why he knows you're a lesbian. <laughs> he found it in the DVD player. He's like, he always caught you secret watching lady porn. Uh, <laughs> I used to talk about how much I liked Diane Keaton's suits on the red carpet. My I also partially blame my dad. Like he used to love Katie Lang and Melissa Etheridge. Like, I mean, there was just like, I really loved a gravelly, like rock. Is it nature or nurture at this point? They just <laughs> turned you into who you are. I do, no, I do think, I do think at a young age, we can nurture kids into the gay way. And I, and I want to <laughs> see more of that personally. Hoping to bring more of that into the world. Someone somewhere listening to this is clutching their pearls. Like <laughs> this in the car with their like older sibling or their mother. And like that older sibling or mom is going to go tell their dad. He's turning this off right now and reporting it. Yeah. Uh, I, I think our demographic is pretty like would want to hear that. But also I cut out at least one thing in episode that Chris says that might offend someone. So. You have to leave that in. Also, I love the insinuation of the demographic. <laughs> Like there's like this like burgeoning audience that we are like really afraid of. We have like ten thousand streams. That's not bad. No, we're killing it. You don't like my Russian accent? It's the best one. But actually, your cave tour guy accent the other day was, was really the good. best thing I've ever heard. That was the wildest thing I've ever heard in real life. Rachel, I was telling them that I went to I visited an ice cave in uh, Austria with a girlfriend in like I don't know twenty. 12 or something and this this the guy who was narrating it um the tour he had he was speaking english but at a cadence that you're fully unprepared for and at like uh like uh melodic levels that you don't expect you know and so he's like pointing to the first sculpture he's like this is the elephant sculpture of the queen's greatest beauty. It's lived here for uh, fifteen a hundred years here in our cave. <laughs> Please don't light your candles until we reach the next door, so it's not to cause me to melt the sculptures. It was just like what it was up. It, 
we it's were like a, it's like a cartoon meets a muppet like, i was like this isn't real this isn't real right and looking at other people no everyone's just like listening my girlfriend and i are like just holding ourselves trying not to you know cry laughing because this is the craziest voice i've ever heard and he narrates the whole thing so we're just like sort of like softly crying and laughing through this whole tour because you know as we take it's like thousands of steps up because you can't they can't have anything that produces heat in there or whatever it's hilarious that one's not offensive that's the most wonderful story i just like it doesn't even sound like words i'm like you're just making noises with your mouth and it's oh yeah well, first, I mean, you have to like, t- you can, from far away, it's just, and, and you're like, you have to listen in. I'm like, no, he's saying words. And, and then you start catching them, the outlines of words. And you're like, oh my God, this is English. It's crazy. <laughs> I love shit like that. I love when humans are just like walking cartoon caricatures of something. I it love brilliant. it. It was brilliant. I- I find humans so interesting. That was like the coolest thing about working in casting is that like, it was my job to just like talk to like really quirky people and you know, it was fun. I feel like you get a lot of quirky people in roller derby too. Oh yeah. Which is also your passion. Um, Will you tell us about maybe how you got into roller derby and then how long you've been doing it? Yeah. um, I got into roller derby when I got out of working in TV. So like, working in casting and working in TV, like I was working super long hours. I had just graduated, I started immediately after college. Um, and so I was in it for about four years and, you know, I just felt like my whole identity was being built around my job. Um, and, um, it was also really stressful. Like when you have like, you know, really like scary, powerful people with a lot of money screaming at you about, you know, Jersey Shore, which I also worked on. Um, it's like, and you're like 23 years old. You're like, why am I getting yelled at about this? Like, like this fucking Jersey Shore guy, like this, like why? So um, yeah, I, I needed a break. I needed to, um, I had some like health issues at the time. And so I decided I was gonna like stop working in TV like get a hold of my health and get just a normal nine to five job to like figure out what I wanted to do, whatever that meant. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, and as soon as I got a nine to five job, I was instantly bored because the other thing about entertainment is that you are never bored. Um, but all of a sudden I was like done at five o'clock and I was like, what were you doing? What kind of job was it? Um, I, I was just like an office administrator at a law firm. Um, it was just like a small boutique firm with like five or six attorneys. And, you know, so I would just like show up, file some paperwork, order printer ink, and then go home, you know? Um, and, you know, so like the first couple months I was like, okay, I've got, I'm off at five o'clock. This is awesome. I can go to the gym. I can do this. I can do that. And then like that turned in very quickly to like, who wants to go to happy hour? And then I was like, happy hour can't be my hobby. <laughs> so, uh, <What? laughs> yeah. differ. that's, yeah, that's news for a lot of people right now. That's a hot yeah. take is all I'm saying. It's a hot take. It's an expensive hobby. Happy hour is not a hobby. <laughs> um, and so I was like, all right, I'm going to try different hobbies. Um, and I tried a bunch of different stuff and, um, a friend of mine, had been talking about roller derby for years. And she finally was like, I've decided I'm going to do this. Um, I know I've been talking about it forever, but like I bought skates. Do you want to come with me? And I was like, no. <laughs> uh, 
And she was like, just, just come everyone's super cool. You can rent skates. You don't have to join, but like, how about you just like skate around with me? And I was like, okay, sure. It was at like a rink, a local rink. Um, and I got there and she was right. Everybody was super cool. I instantly felt stoked that I had like a bunch of like potential new friends. Uh, and it didn't hurt that I already knew how to roller skate. And so like when I was there, people were like, well, you're already better than all of us. So you should probably join. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so, um, Don't talk to me like that. Oh my God. <laughs> Fine. I'm joining. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I grew up roller skating um, as a kid. So I, you know, took to it pretty quickly. Um, and then like, it went from being, you know, just like, okay, sure. I'll join, you know, this looks fun. I'll, I'll learn the basics and learn to scrimmage and join a team to like very quickly within like six months, it was like an obsession. Like I, because I finally, I remembered it, it recalled for me everything that I loved about playing team sports growing up. And mm -hmm. I, I didn't realize how big the hole in my heart was for team sports coming out of high school, not playing sports in college. Cause I went to UCLA. And so I wasn't that level, um, to play like for a UCLA mm -hmm. team. Yeah. I like, you know, I, I looked at volleyball tryouts my freshman year and they were like, yeah, there's going to be two spots and there's open tryouts and about 700 girls show up. And I was like, nah, <laughs> like, so I didn't, I, I didn't realize how much I missed sports until I like showed up and started skating and learning the mechanics of how the strategy of the game works. And once I started learning like the game, I was all in because it's such a fascinating, complex sport in like the rules and the strategy. So, um, I also had never had the opportunity to play something full contact. Um, and that was a really like special experience for me to like, kind of come into this, come into my body in a way that I'd never had before. Like, I always felt like I was very awkward, like athletic, yes, but like very awkward. And I always had this like really like rocky relationship with my body um, and what I thought it should look like, or, you know, shouldn't look like. I think we all, you know, go through that at some point. Mm -hmm. And um, suddenly I didn't care about that. I cared more about what I could do with my body, how hard I could hit someone with it, um, like how quickly I could maneuver out of a situation on my skates, um, how I could like slow or manipulate someone else's decision-making on skates. So just everything about it was so empowering. And it sounds like cheesy to say, but I just really found, um, a, like a, a power in my athleticism that no other sport had given me. Um, in fact, I felt like with every other sport, I was constantly like trying to figure out how to like do the thing correctly. Like it was never right. Um, I was always fine at it. Like I was never the worst person on the team, but like, you know, my technique was always like just off slightly. And I felt like I was constantly like doing something wrong and feeling bad about myself. But with this, it was like, you know, I was workshopping it with a bunch of other people who also were workshopping it. Cause it was very much in its infancy as a sport, um, you know, coming back as like this grassroots community growing in the United States and around the world. Um, and so I really found a home with the people, with the sport, with myself. Um, and so I played up until the day they told us we had to stop playing before the pandemic. Really? Yeah. So I, I was clocking into my 11th season when they, wow. um, 
when everything got shut down. Um, so, you know, playing something for more than 10 years, I definitely, um, it was, it's the longest sport I've ever had a relationship with. Um, and, you know, I think it's, um, for me, it's everything that's important about like why, like what people get out of sports like that. Um, and, and then some, because it doesn't come with, it, I mean, roller derby has its own problems like anything does. Um, but it didn't come with, um, all of the like normative expectations that sports that are built off of men's sports come with as mm. with women's roller derby, it is the gold standard of the sport. So men's roller derby is compared to women's roller derby and not the reverse. Whereas in every other sport, the W is the qualifier. So it's not basketball, it's women's basketball, it's women's soccer, but with roller derby, it's just roller derby. And that's the women's version. And that's the standard. You have to specify men's roller derby to get, you know, to, to make people realize that, the, that know there was men's roller derby for being honest. It's not very good, but you know, <laughs> any, any men's derby players that are listening to me, please don't hate me, but also it's not very good. Well, I, I love that you're like, so like passionate about it. Cause I feel like I've met a lot of people who are like anti-sport and they think that sport, I'm a huge sports person. Like that's obvious. Um, I played sports my whole life. I love watching sports. I think that there's like so much discipline and, and like good things that come from sport itself, but as and some community and community. And that's something that like, we both like, we played sports our whole life. We played sports together. We played rugby in college. I feel similarly about rugby as you do about roller derby because it was the first we played like basketball which is kind of a contact sport but it was the first like full contact sport that we played it's very queer rugby's really cool in that there's not like a specific ideal body type for it like there's like you can be larger bodied or small or fast or strong or whatever and men's and women's rugby have the exact same rules mm-hmm. too so it's like it's really cool it's like really inclusive it's also really gay you know so yeah. i mean so that was yeah we made a lot of friends doing that. And so like, that was really fun. And so we played that, but then once Chris transitioned, like right when he started transitioning, we had just joined like a women's tackle football team. And so he actually played one season at the very beginning of his transition on that team, but we were both really good. And our coach was like on the, like the board and for the women's football allegiance or whatever they're called. And she was like, I don't want, there's, there was kind of like blurry rules around transitioning. Cause it's technically, we're volunteering for the sport. We're, we're paying to be in it, you know, like it's like an adult league and it's technically a professional league, but it's not a professional league, you know? Um, but like we, then we weren't able to play together. And Chris was like, that was his one thing in his transition that he was really afraid of was like losing that ability to play team sports. Yeah. Which like I can play on men's teams, but I was always like the best one on women's teams. And that was my fear. Were you better than me? I was faster than me. <laughs> I was, I was the fastest person on our rugby team, even like the pre-transition. Chris is always really, was always <laughs> athletic with me. I've always been very athletic. And then like, I'm stronger and a little bit faster on testosterone, but like, I'm also like five foot five. I'm like yeah. not very big. And I'm like, I'm not going to play rugby with cis men. I'm just not going to. Even though like, there are guys, there are size. guys my size, but like, I'm, I. There's also I, guys that are like linebacker, yeah. NFL linebacker yeah. size. You I know? just. 
for me, I'm not going to do it. And I'm not going to play tackle football in Texas because I don't think it would be inclusive of a trans body, you know, like in a men's adult league. I just, I would be really worried of like the place that we live. But now we play, Austin has lots of gay leagues and they just call them a gay league, even though they're an LGBTQ league because it's just the gay flag football league is what it started as. And I was the first trans person in our league. And then there was two trans women the last two seasons, which was really cool. And like when we went on travel tournaments, I played on team and I was the only trans guy and it was all cis men. And I like fucking held my own. And I was like, cool. Like, yeah, like I'm not the biggest one out here. And like people still pull my flags and stuff, but also I was like beating people and whatever. And I just didn't have to worry about losing my teeth. That was like my biggest thing. <laughs> the older I get, I'm like, I have to pay for my own insurance now. But sports is like really important. And I think that's like people like with all the trans bills right now and people are like, what does it fucking matter? Like, it's just like, whatever. I'm like, I think that it's, so much. it's so yeah. formative to kids. I think people who are anti-sport had a bad experience or never played sports. And I think it's definitely biased most of the time yeah. because it's like, it would be like being like, well, band's fucking dumb. Like I didn't do band, but I know like it's great me? for people. Excuse me. <laughs> What'd you just say? <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, I, I totally agree. I, um, Court, what you were saying about like rugby is also true of roller derby. Like it's, uh, and, and was one of the things I was getting at is like, it's non-normative also in like how it looks like, so, you know, the thing about like playing volleyball is like, I kind of got forced into that because people were like, oh, you're tall. So like, this is for you, you know, you're sort of like put into sports based on like these arbitrary, like things about your, your body type or, you know, something that people identify um, as being like, you know, made for that specific thing, it, whether or not you actually end up being good at that, like varies widely, but like with roller derby, like there were people that were, you know, I have a teammate who's a full foot shorter than me. Like I'm five eleven, and she's four eleven. you know, and she was so incredibly good because she was able to like use her like size to her advantage, you know? And, and so roller derby was really the first sport I played, um, that I saw people really succeed based on their skills, their talents, leaning into just who like their bodies and their, their shapes, their sizes and figuring out what worked for them. Um, and rugby is really the only other sport where I've really seen that be true. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's like a really cool feature of both of those sports, but you know, to, to the point of like the importance of sport, like, like these conversations that we're having about trans people in sports are really important. And, and I think, you know, with roller derby that initially like early on the policy around like trans people playing was like, they just sort of like followed whatever the, the most accepted guidelines were, which at the time were the Olympics. And then when the stuff happened with Castor Semenya, um, everybody was like, oh, we can't, do that. Like that was unfair. Like, you know, nobody when thinking about those policies was thinking about intersex people or, you know, how this might start to um, impact other folks in the sport. And so the policy um, changed, but, you know, again, it's been like, it's been a bumpy road for people to figure out what that looks like. And so the policy like that currently exists in roller derby, I think is confusing for some people who like maybe, don't know a lot about trans people or like don't take the time to like understand you know like what someone goes through transitioning mm-hmm. um and but to me the policy feels very clear because the policy now is you know you can um play women's roller derby if that is the like 
identity with which you most closely identify. And so that really, that has worked for some of the like trans men and non-binary people in the sport because they may have been playing women's roller derby for 10 years before they transitioned. Mm -hmm. And I definitely have friends in the sport who played, you know, for a very long time. And then they were like, well, what do I do? Like, I know that I have to do this thing. I know that this is important to my identity, like transitioning, you know, like I have to go through this, but does that mean that I also have to give up? Yeah. And so like, you know, I think, you know, it's not perfect, but there is no perfect policy, but I do think it's at least a step in the right direction to let people say like, this is the sport I identify with. I've played this sport. Like these are my teammates. These are my people. This is my community. Like I'm going to play like right here. Um, and then some people absolutely ended up transferring to men's leagues. Like I, I also know skaters that were like, I'm finished. This is my final season. I'm starting HRT and I am, you know, I'm starting testosterone, like whatever the case may be. Like I know skaters that went from men's teams to women's teams and women's teams to men's teams. So. <clears throat> yeah. I think there's the same, like no nuanced argument against trans people in sports as there are as like trans people in bathrooms. It's like the, the fake argument of like, well, then kids are just going to like jump on the girls team because they think they're going to dominate and get a scholarship. And it's like, those people obviously have no understanding of like what transitioning, like how that really goes and like how that will like, it's like a hard decision and like socially impact you like no like little teenage boy is going to join the women's basketball team and put himself through that. Like, first of all, his friends would never let him do that. You know, like, and I follow, I follow like a lot of like sports writers on Twitter because I am who I am. And like, I, one of them is like a, a Spurs sports writer and he was, um, he was tweeting about the fact that Texas is talking about passing similar laws as the ones that just got passed in was it Arkansas. Arkansas. And then, so like the NCAA was saying that then they'll pull out all the tournaments from here. And he was like, good, like pull out of here. Like we're going to lose so much revenue and like they deserve it. Like San Antonio deserves it. Austin deserves it. Like if y'all are going to do it, do it. Cause he lives in Texas too. And somebody came back at him and was like, so you're telling me like if your daughter worked her whole life and like, was trying to get a scholarship and like a bunch of boys joined her team and were better than her and like got the scholarships, like you would be fine with that. And he was like, hell yeah. Like if that's how they identified and that's what they wanted to do, like, I don't understand your argument. Yeah. And he was like, and if you want to like start having hypothetical arguments about like things that aren't going to happen, like we could have so many arguments about things that aren't going to happen, but like, I'm not going to have this, this like, what if, what if, what if, and it was really cool. Cause he's just like a middle-aged white guy that I would not have thought would be like on that side of the fence but it was like some people get it some people get the, that like the hypothetical like this is so dangerous and it's going to be so detrimental to girls in bathrooms and girls on sports teams know that that's not really the case like it's I also think like it's really interesting to think about what people must think of women if they think that they have to protect us in this way like that's the other thing I'm like like in roller derby, it's super common to play um, like mixed gender games. So we'll play men's teams and, you know, a lot of the top women's teams can beat men's teams. And I have, you know, beaten my fair share of men's teams. And like, I skate against dudes, cis dudes all the time that are terrified of me. <laughs> um, and so I'm like, you know, 
I don't feel like I need to be protected by the Twitter warriors who seem to think that like, that this is a problem. Um, and I quite frankly, don't necessarily think that my teammates do either. I'm sure each of them has their own individual like feelings. And I do agree that like, you know, I've, I've been in situations where I've felt not so safe with a cis dude that, you know, maybe weighs 250 pounds, but not because of like size and strength, but because of his skill control Mm -hmm. and because of like his competency of the sport, like, because I think in sport, there's, there's a nuanced competency of like how much force could you use versus how much force do you actually need to use? Because when you're playing a sport and you're playing a game that is in most cases like an hour long, you have to make decisions about your energy output and preservation. And so if you are just like hurling yourself um, like in around people and like playing unsafely, then your competency about like what you should be doing with your body in that space is what I'm questioning. Mm -hmm. Not like, not all the other stuff. Like all of the, I feel like all of the injuries in our co-ed gay league are caused by the cis straight guys. Cause we're, we're open to like allies too, but it's always like the cis straight guys that just like, do not know how to like pull up when you're about to run into somebody. And it's like, this is a non-contact sport, dude. Like turn off the testosterone for like two seconds. <laughs> I played, play? I played a pickup game of uh, Frisbee in ultimate Frisbee in the park in park city with some friends. And then there was some, also just some random dudes. And this guy turns right around and hurls a Frisbee disc like he's in the Olympics, like he's discus throwing for distance. And it, I was not 10 feet away from him and it hits me in the mouth and I have to go to the emergency room because I'm like immediately just like exploded both of my lips and like spitting blood and teeth parts. And it was like, that wasn't necessary for the park Frisbee game guy. Uh, it's a I, lot and also i think um what you're saying about what you're saying about that the writer who was you know defending the hypotheticals because they're so hypothetical they're such it's such a hypothetical thing that people are quote afraid of um it's also just that mind that scarcity mindset you know that there's just a there's just a select amount of opportunities and um, you know, and if I, if I don't make sure that I get one or if other people get them, then there's not going to be more opportunities for me, which just is absolutely not the case. You know, Hey, you and know, if, I, if uh, college was free, then we wouldn't have to be fighting over those sports scholarships. So well, I was going to say removing scholarships changes the entire conversation. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like I have so many feelings about sports scholarships anyways, because I have so many feelings about the way that college athletes are exploited. Totally. Uh, and, and, and the way that schools make money off of them. So, you know, and, and I'm so glad that, that we're having those conversations now and that it's looking like, you know, it's, it, it hopefully will move in the right direction with like players having some sort of rights to their likenesses and royalties or something. But like, you know, I think, I, I don't think the problem is uh, like trans people wanting to play sports. I think the problem is that we've created these systems that uphold this scarcity model or that like uphold this like, you know, farce of a meritocracy where, you know, you 
Like, I, I don't know. Like I, I see way more issues with like the things that people are arguing about losing access yep. to than I see issues with the people that would suddenly have access to a community, to a sports team, to friends, to acceptance, to a physical outlet that makes them feel good, to the same thing that all of us feel where you get to like be present in your body and feel your strength and power in a way that like makes you feel good. Like we're debating the value of those things because of a scholarship that like, quite frankly, that person's kid isn't gonna get that scholarship either. Well, also, can I just say, and like, maybe this is like too, I don't know. I'm just going to say it. Um, where were all these people caring about women's sports before? I've never even heard anyone fucking advocate for women's or girls sports. Normally they're like, just get rid of them. We don't have to give them funding. We don't have to give, oh, well, they don't get the same views. Yeah. You put the WNBA on at fucking noon. If you put the NBA on at noon during a work day, no one would watch it. I was actually in this thread with this thing. Uh, this guy but was like, like, they don't even care about women's sports. He was sports. like, last week y'all were saying that nobody cares about women's sports, but now you're the biggest advocate to make sure you're protecting women's sports. And uh, yeah, it's just, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's- I, saw, I saw a whole post about uh, like the, like, um, investment into women's sports and like how it's like therefore like set it up obviously to be like less profitable mm-hmm. let less the athletes are le- going to be naturally less skilled less advanced because they're they have access to you know uh less practice resources less like just less general gyms like it's less of everything yeah and it like was it was actually changed that like clothing brand it was their instagram there's a like cute little comic that i that uh i liked a lot but right the NCAA tournament was just on and the women's side of the tournament, like broke all of the records, um, for viewership, the, you know, the women's world cup broke viewership records when they, they, they had even more viewers than the men's world cup. Well, cause That's they're, right. cause they're better. All we have to look at is us women's soccer to ha- need all of the data to compare just very plainly to men's soccer, you know, wh- where all of the sexism is, People you know, still will, they still will argue, oh, well, they lose more, they lose more money or whatever. And it's like, they don't actually lose more money. They've had less money invested in, but when you look at the money invested in, and then the profit, they, they're, they're making more money. They are. Yeah. Either one is making money. Um, yeah. No, it's, you have to look at the, yeah, the, the, re- the relational value of the money invested versus the actual profits acquired. Like it, yeah, it's, and also you, you can't discount the fact that like the men's sports and when people talk about like how men are just better at sports than women are, it drives, like, it makes my blood boil because you can't discount the fact that they have had these systems set up for over a century, Forever. create a pipeline of talent that has a standardized form, like form of training to start grooming children from the time that they are five years old to be professional basketball players and football players. Women haven't had that, that sort of infrastructure in sport, but now that that is starting to happen, we're starting to see the level of skill that women like have that in my opinion has accelerated much quicker than exponentially. If you look at like the WNBA wouldn't like in the nineties versus the WNBA now. And the NBA has been around since what the fucking Lisa Leslie was the only woman who could dunk like in the nineties. Now there's girls in high school dunking like regularly. I saw a freshman dunk on Twitter the other day. I was just like, that's nuts. And she was like six foot six. Like there's men in the NBA who cannot dunk. Like, (laughs) 
that's just saying. Like you, you build it, and suddenly, like it removes all ability for people to have these stupid ass arguments that like have no basis in comparison. Like you cannot compare like what you believe, like what you think is true based on like historical evidence when all of the evidence historically has been completely inequitable. So like, sorry, like talk to me a hundred years from now and start the clock at 1995. Yeah. Like start the clock at the establishment of the WNBA. And then let's talk about the trajectory, except you guys get to look at from when the, when the NBA was established in whatever the fifties, I guess, like y'all have to start your clock at a different spot than we start our clock because you have to look at the same set yep. of available time and resources. Yeah. I mean, and you just like, whenever people argue that like women are w- worse at sports, like I can just like basketball is a really easy, like metric, like free throws, the free throw line is the same distance away in men's and women's and women's. I just looked in 2016. I couldn't find like a quick stat right here. The WNBA league averaged like 80% from the free throw line and the men's is 75. So if you just look at that, like it's five percentage points. And that just shows because women are quote unquote, less athletic. We have to be more fundamental. So the shooting percentages are higher Yeah, because you have to be better. It's like anything women have to be exceptional to be considered good. Yeah, exactly. Whereas yeah. there's guys- well, I feel very smug when I hear stats like that. I'm like, <laughs> see? Yeah. Becky Hammond, who was the first women's coach in the WNBA, she was my favorite WNBA player, for a long time held the Guinness World Record for the most free throws in a minute, breaking Steve Nash's record, who is holds the record for the highest free throw percentage in the NBA. Like, it just happens like that. I mean, there's a guy on the Spurs right now who shoots like 30% from the free throw line. He's paid so much money just bank free throws. I know he's like seven feet tall and he shoots 30% from the free throw. It line. makes me so mad the amount of money that like untalented people get paid. Yeah. <laughs> oh, when, you, when you see like the comparison of their salaries, like because there's a lot of that going around right now, too. Um, the Carmax commercials with uh, Steph Curry and, and Sue Bird, if you haven't seen them there. Oh, I love them. They're super funny. Oh yeah. That, that, that one, that one's really good. The one where he's like, Oh, I can't believe I've just like helped like a four time NBA champion or whatever. And it's like, Oh no, it's super. It's not you stuff. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, well, yeah. Cause like the, the highest paid WNBA players don't even make half a million dollars, you know, LeBron James, it's like half a million dollars a quarter, you know, yeah. Well, the average WNBA player makes less than the entry level NBA player. Less than like the veterans minimum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Less than practice squad NFL players. Ugh. I hate it. Um, so anyways. I, I love that. <laughs> sports. Um, we've, we've traveled a distance, you guys. We like talked about drag race. We talked about history projects. We talked about sports. Like what a great, yeah. I hope you're on this journey. Well, the only thing we we haven't talked about is rebellious PR. I would like you to talk a little bit about like what you do if you, if you still have some time. uh, Yeah, I was going to ask if you have a little bit of time, we'd love to keep you a little bit longer. I think people are going to love a longer episode. We're all in quarantine uh, still, and we would love a little bit of content. Um, Sure. So um, Rebellious PR uh, is the PR agency that I help run along with um, my badass friend who founded it uh, five years ago. Her name is Evie Smith Hatmaker. She also was a roller derby player. Um, And 
she did PR in Silicon Valley for like 10 years, um, moved to Portland to be with her wife. Um, we knew each other through roller derby. We both left jobs around the same time. Um, for various talk work toxicity place reasons. Um, and she had, she thought that she didn't want to do PR anymore. I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, um, after leaving my communications job. And, um, she was like, well, maybe I'll hate PR less if I do PR for people that I actually believe in, um, and people that I like. And so she was like, cool, I'm going to take like women, LGBTQ and people of color clients and like, you know, call it a day, you know, I'm just basically going to not try to not work with, uh, you know, cis straight white men. Um, and it turned out that like, that was the right choice. And suddenly she had like more work than she knew what to do with, because at the time, like a lot of female founders were starting to get funding for companies. Like people were starting to pay attention to the VC gender gap, which is still a big deal. Um, but slowly getting better, I guess. Kind of, I mean, it's another topic I can get fired up about. But yeah, I'm like currently, it, uh, women uh, women get 0.5 percent, 0.05 of investment dollars. Women of color get 0.03 percent of investment dollars. So it's not great. Yeah, it's pretty low. So, um, but we had she had somehow like amassed a bunch of clients uh, interested in um, working with her, and um, she was like, "I need someone who's going to help me grow this thing." And um, a mutual friend of ours was like, "What about Rachel? She's she's like one of our friends who's like a great connector." Um, and Evie was like, oh my God, that's totally the right person. She flew down to LA, we had lunch and then the rest is history. We were like, she had this vision. I was like, I'm all in, um, I want to help grow that. And uh, there were three of us at the time. And then a year later there were eight of us. And then now um, three years later, there's 20 of us. Wow. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, it, uh, we decided that we didn't want to work within a specific industry. We wanted to work with a specific kind of business owner. And so like, not only did we want to run an ethical business, but also we wanted to work with people who, um, were doing the same or were at least trying to like disrupt their industries in not in the, like, you know, uh, not in the, like the, the cheesy, like Facebook disrupted tech kind of way, but in the, like, the the disruption because they're you're doing something good and better um you know as a as a small business or as a as a startup mm -hmm. um so like i work with some amazing um people of all genders like i mean yes we also you know still have a couple clients that are like cis straight dudes and that's cool because they're you know we have a bar that we set of like what the kind of business is that we want to work with and turns out that's all that we really had to do to to start attracting the right kinds of people um but I do a lot of work with um women's health um or just like vaginal health in general um I uh, I have clients in like reproductive health and technology in sex tech um in you know all anything that touches uh mental health we work with a bunch of clients um in that space so uh anything around like your body and wellness um you know i i definitely specialize in that and then 
Um, we also get to do really cool work with um, communities of color through a pro bono project that we have called Project Uplift, where you know we essentially leverage our time and resources to support um, a business every quarter that um, needs PR but can't afford it. And um, because most small businesses can't. <laughs> so we have a, an application process for that and we take on a business every uh, quarter and support them um, with getting them some media coverage and um, getting some like basics of their like foundational messaging and like build, building blocks of like how to tell their story on their own and get them out in the right places. And um, yeah, it's really, it's, it's, Great. It's super busy work. Like I'm always busy, but it's really fulfilling also. So it's nice. That's and that's awesome. how I met Christina. <laughs> yeah, she was, uh, Rachel was there with a, with a, the, one of the keynote speakers who was presenting her new blended orgasm uh, sex toy product that they'd been working on and developing. I think it was, it's like extremely robotics based and extremely high tech, you know, but Set. even this isn't even that long ago but even in 2019 or 2018 you know people don't want to talk about sex toys as technology even though it's a you know a huge industry so and Rachel actually had some issue with that one I feel like <laughs> I did I mean the yeah we played a, a big role in sort of shaking up the the tech industry's understanding of um like technology built for vaginas, which was at the time, no understanding of it, um, unless it was like something to do with giving birth. So basically like if the technology was to do with like breast pumping or giving birth, like that was considered legitimate technology, um, you know, because that nothing is- pleasure-based. Right, but nothing pleasure-based was, um, you know, really being talked about. Um, and so we, applied for, um, I won't, I won't say nothing was being talked about, um, in, in like heavily tech, like focused spaces, like this particular conference we went to called CES, um, which is like a big technology conference. Um, you know, there, there wasn't a whole lot of that. It was like, that's where you went for like the newest monitors and, you know, VR and stuff like that. But there was this whole, like, um, you know, like, back area where you could like see VR porn and like there was like you know a, like a blood cool. machine like there's like there was like men's pleasure products and there's like this whole history of CES that you know is too much to go into where it used to happen at the same time in Las Vegas as AVN um which is the wow. Adult video network awards um and so like it used to be that there was like a lot of commingling of that stuff um but again, it was always through like the male gaze. It was never about like women's pleasure. Um, and so like vibrators or anything for like, you know, clit stimulation was just not welcome in the show. Um, and we applied for an award for this like high tech robotic um, sex toy for all intents and purposes. Um, won the award based on like the the tech specifications and like robust development of the device and um, they gave us the award took it away um, and then like we were like are you sure you want to do that because we are PR people <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and so then we're a PR company watch what happens baby so then at the beginning of the show we you know gave 
some of those pieces of story to uh, friendly journalists that we know. And uh, suddenly there were headlines that were like, you know, CES has a problem with w women's pleasure. Like CES doesn't fuck was one of my favorite headlines. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was cool because it opened up a conversation about like whether or not this technology was worthy of an award, because that's ultimately what we were challenging is like, wait, so you're saying that we're not, we're no longer worthy of the award because you've deemed it like indecent, obscene, um, you know, profane. There was like, you know, all these words that they used in the, in the response to us. Wow. We were like, but that doesn't change anything about the technology. Like did the technology like meet the independent judging specifications of like what this like was supposed to accomplish, then there should be no issue with it. And so, um, you know, we fought the man and we won. And the next uh, year they allowed um, sex tech companies to actually show on the show floor um, in earnest and not be sequestered into like a separate area. Like we advocated to get them on the floor with all the health and wellness devices. So like there would be like a standing desk and then like a bed, you know, a, a fancy tech bed and then a kitty litter box and then like a sex toy <laughs> company, you know? And so like, you know, that was the big thing is like, you need to integrate this into all of these things that are a part of our everyday lives and not put them in a corner somewhere. Mm -hmm. Because then you, by putting them all in a corner, you make it seem like it is something wrong that like you should have to, you know, hide this away from people. They're associating shame with it. That's just their shame and not our shame, but the shame that they've tried to push on us forever, right? Yep. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, that's one of the many like fun stories we've gotten to, um, you know, get our hands dirty with. But, um, you know, I, I just like telling great stories about what people are doing in the world. And, um, you know, I think... Um, media is really interesting because like the appetite for what people want is always changing. And, um, for the past year, we've all been living in a really like fucked up news cycle. <laughs> um, I would say even for the past four years, I mean, yeah. like, I think that the, the Trump presidency like really changed people's relationship with the news. Um, so it's a job that's like ever evolving. Um, it's constantly changing and I'm really excited though. Cause like, you know, hedging our bets on deciding to work with the, like, our people, like, means that now that's cool, I guess. <laughs> like, suddenly, you know, people care more about um, female founders than they ever have. People care more about queer people than they ever have. You know, people finally care about, you know, people of color and other marginalized communities. Um, and so there's, I think that there's, like, an, a really... I'm seeing a nice uptick in, in people wanting to share those stories and publicize like stories about people doing interesting things for their, you know, their, their immediate community and, and families and networks of people That's and awesome. not just like Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. I love that. That sounds so, sounds good to hear that like on your end where you're like doing that as a business that you're seeing good strides too. I mean, like we see the headlines of like people with like, celebrating women's businesses and this, this and that, but sometimes I'm like, are we, is this going to like be sustainable? Are people going to keep caring? And so I hope 
I mean, I don't think it will be sustainable if I'm totally honest. Um, you know, I, I think, um, what usually I feel like happens is there's a pendulum swing. So like we've been so far over here for so long that now we're sort of existing in this other side of the swing. And I do think it will land in the middle, but I think people haven't really figured out what that even looks like. Um, so for now it's just like riding the wave and, you know, being, being a part of it as it moves and not getting too, um, attached to like whatever you think is going to happen. Um, <laughs> I feel like that's just great life advice. Yeah, totally. Like, you know, you, like you, you may be hot one minute, but you won't be the next. It's and, only for uh, one minute. Yeah. A singular minute of your whole life. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you for sharing so much with us. We didn't even talk to you about everything we wanted to, but whatever. We'll just have to have you back sometime. Away, yeah. I do want to know what's your what's your roller derby name? Oh, it's Rachel Rotten. Oh, that's right. It's Rachel Rotten. What do you have a friend? Do you have like a favorite friend's roller derby name? Do you have a couple favorites? You don't have to pick one person so you don't tell your friends anything. Yeah, no, there's like a retired skater who I always really loved her roller derby name. Um, it was Jalapeno Business. Oh, shit. That's good. Yeah. I thought that was great. Um, good. Yeah, no, I had a hard time picking my roller derby name. Um, you pick your yeah. own? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. You gotta make it up. You gotta be funny and smart and make it up. Yeah. I didn't know if it was like a nickname, like it had to be given to you. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, I mean, in some people's cases, that is how it was. Like I gave one of my friends her derby name, but um, yeah, no, I, I picked mine. Um, I went with an alliteration. Um, when I picked it, um, I immediately Googled it and regretted it because it's also a porn star's name. Ooh. Uh, so I get, I get messages all the time. People asking me if I'm the porn star, we look nothing alike. So <laughs> I don't understand but like okay um people are full blind yeah but so you know be careful if you know you google me put like rachel rotten roller derby or something (laughs) (laughs) do the whole thing that's why don't be too big if you just put rachel rotten it's literally pictures of both of us and you're like which one is it awesome (laughs) my my i dated a girl that did roller derby and my favorite of her roller derby friends names was the brutal strudel i loved her that's a good one (laughs) <laughs> she was she was Austrian, so that was her. It was just like her come from, but I thought that one was so good. Just trying to imagine a brutal strudel really makes me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> I think like a, like an angry like pop tart strudel or something. You know, you drew a mad face on. Yeah, but I love a toaster strudel. <laughs> people are so creative. I love some of the names people come up with. Um, Court, do you want to hit that pre wrap, or am I looking at the wrong one? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Also, we just want to. I mean, we probably are going to thank you in this, but thank you for carving out like two hours of your very busy schedule to talk with us. This is such a good talk. Like we hit so many good things. That's literally what I was about to say. Okay. All right. Thanks again to our amazing guest, Rachel, for taking time out of her busy schedule to shoot the shit with us. It's always a blast. We are very thankful to know you and to have gotten to meet you through Chris. Um, We apparently can have very long-winded conversations via Zoom. So (laughs) I feel like first time too yeah we did yeah we've had some solid time um we can make friends in the pandemic yeah this is how this is how you become friends Mm -hmm. but speaking of guests we are always looking for guests and we have had a good amount of people reach out and express interest and we have room for everyone if you'd like to be on queer for it you can just shoot us a message and we will have you on that can either be 
uh, remote, like we're doing this one over Zoom, or you can be in the Austin area. So just hit us up. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Queer For It. You can send us an email at queerforitpodcast at gmail.com and visit our website, queerforit.com. Also feel free to visit flaunt.com and grab any cool queer gear you want. And check out Rebellious PR. And And check out uh, Rebellious PR. If you're a queer or POC company, please hit them. Or if you're doing something beautiful for the world, feel free to hit them up um don't forget to rate review and subscribe on our apple podcast or wherever you get your podcasts tell your friends family co-workers moms dads uh any trans person that you know any parent of a trans person that you know because we just dropped a transparent episode that's really helpful about us and feel free to send us on all the socials anything you want us to talk about or uh any answers you would like to find any questions you would like us to find answers for that makes more sense (laughs) uh thank you loves until next week we love you so you should too we love you i love you love you don't hang up don't do it (laughs) 